Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes if it has wheels and an engine and they keep score it's on midweek motorsport It's just after 8 o'clock here in the UK. I'm John Hindhoff, and up oh, that's uh, 3 o'clock Eastern, by the way, if you're in the States. Uh, but I'm in the UK, for once. Uh, and up in London is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Uh, good evening, John. I'm just wondering why uh, listeners uh, who are in stereo are only getting you on the left. I have no clue. Um, because you should be coming on both sides. I might have to move you in a moment. All right. I, I, I'm not sure whether I prefer being on the left or the right. I'm quite centrist in the politics. No such thing. Okay. Uh, on a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features and all the usual guests. Uh, but we have a special guest in our big interview. Oh, it's a big interview. Um, uh I don't actually know who it is because you haven't told me. I'm guessing from uh, the information that uh, you've given me. Is it Stuart Pringle? It is Stuart Pringle. It is Stuart Pringle. I was at Silverstone today talking to the MD of Silverstone Circuit, Stuart Pringle, uh, who actually is is up in London tonight on business. Uh, But he gave me some time earlier on today uh, to talk about all things Silverstone. So that's Grand Prix, Formula One, MotoGP, WEC... 750 Motor Club, uh, the future, you name it, we talked about it, and that will be our big interview just after 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, we're also going to be talking about uh, precious metals. Uh, uh, that'll be bronze, gold, bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. And uh, Nick Damon and Shay Adam will be with us. Oh, now you've gone completely... That didn't work, did it? There was me trying to get you onto the other side, and uh, I, I seem to have lost you completely. One more moment. Now you should be back. Am I back now? Yes. Excellent. Uh, at... <laughs> At Specutainment, Barnaby Scarf says, apologies for listening live this week. Not sure how it's happened. This is not an apology for absence. Apology for listening live. It's an AFLL. I'm not sure how this has happened, but I've found myself tuning in to listen live for the first time in a very long time. Couldn't have planned it. That's for sure. But it's no podcast for me this week, says the brilliantly named Barnaby Scarf. EFAs again this week from Kevin Payne. I love the 9 o'clock interview, the big interview last week. Scott Atherton last week, very insightful. I think you're going to like this week as well. When the world of motorsport uh, has something to say, 
it talks to midweek motorsport. Alexander Orkin says, no AFAs tonight, warming an Italian pork stew for supper before the washing up at midweek motorsport. Looking forward to it. It's an Italian pork stew, Alexander, and I, I, I need to know that. Lounsey's car says, uh, AFAs, as I'm preparing for the boss's send-off from full-time supercars driving, I'm feeling a bit emotional, but at least we still have the 12-hour. Rob Chalmers says, is Nick on tonight? Is there more intercooler gate? I'll get me caught. And Sarah Rigby says, will Stuart Pringle be talking about the new hotel? Uh, yes, he will. Who else have we got? Chris Suhu. Chris Sugu. Hello, Chris. A straight hat-trick of EFAs. I don't think I've done that in 12 seasons. I'll be looking forward to listening on the podcast on a lazy Sunday. A Saturday's proper work day here. Great show. Canam says... Uh, thank you for all your hard work this year and I'll be listening in to Midweek Motorsport and uh, hello to Jackie Warnock as well who's disappointed disappointed in Shanghai because she's not in the new Intercontinental which is in an old uh, quarry below ground level with fish there we go Uh, if you'd like to speak to us at Specutainment please if you wouldn't mind and Tim Gray is going to shuffle his papers. Can you do a few more apologies for absence? Uh, hang on. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. By the way, all of our American listeners, thanks for listening. See what I did there? It's Thanksgiving tomorrow. Uh, I like the turkey, says Shea. Adam is, is uh, thawing out nicely, ready to be cooked tomorrow. I have no idea. Really? No idea. Shea's making turkey tomorrow. Is what she told us. She's growing it herself. Apparently, I think she may need to start before now. Turkey, garlicky green beans, mom's mashed potatoes, sweet potato casserole, dinner rolls. Dinner rolls? They're just rolls. Cranberry sauce and gravy. Presumably, what what's the not breakfast rolls? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Does that make sense? I haven't heard breakfast rolls called breakfast rolls. Since my since 1980s. Well, no, since my grandmother died, she always used to call them breakfast rolls. All my Scottish relatives used to call them breakfast rolls. So yeah, okay. I'll, 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 so yes, I am. I stand corrected. They're dinner rolls. Shall we play a jingle and get to the top story? Uh, we'll play a jingle, but not get to the top story oh, yet, because really? I've just remembered this. Long. Or on an instrumental version, even. Oh, I've just realised this stars on 45, isn't it? It is. Because this is season 13, episode 45. There you go. Let's see if we actually get there. No, we're never going to get there. It's never okay. going to start. It would have started a long time before then. It's those stars on 45. Yeah. Any. Yeah, if you don't skip through it, it's not happening, is it's it? It's not happening. It's not happening. I've got, I've, got a, I've got a bad version. The other thing we're doing tonight mm-hmm. is a nomination to Man of the Year show. Are we? Yes. The Year of the Year show. 
uh, of everything the of the year. So uh, of the we year. have four uh, people, four people doing uh, nominations uh, for you to choose uh, at some point in the future. John, Nick, Shay, and Johnny Palmer Ooh. will be our nominators this year. Right, it's the it's the show of the year. That's what it is. S O T Y. Sotty. Uh, so let's uh, get rid of uh, Stars on Five and play a news jingle instead. Okay, that sounds reasonable. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And we start by introducing our MotoGP correspondent, Nick Damon. Hurrah! <laughs> that wasn't. That wasn't particularly. You know. You weren't up enough for that. Well, I didn't want to kind of—I I didn't want to kind of like parody myself. Really? Why not? not this time. Well, yes. I must admit, when Tim was playing music early on, the first thing I thought was 70s porn film. But keep going. Yeah. Well. Well, I did post some. Uh, I know. Some pancake porn oh. earlier on. That was that, that. All that needed was a man with a big bushy moustache coming. Easy, on board. Tiger. Easy. Easy. Uh, Mortal GP at the weekend was at Valencia. The rain in Spain falls mainly where, Nick? Uh, on the track, and then on the track again, and then a bit of break, then back on the track, and then on the track. Valencia. Valencia. Mm. Mm. Yes, we had a, a, a very wet, well, then a drying, then a wet uh, MotoGP, where lots and lots and lots of people fell off, and people who fell off actually got back on again with no penalty, and towards the end, so few bikes were going around, people fell off towards the end and still score points. However, there were some people who did a bit of damage to themselves. Um, who are you particularly thinking of? Jorge Lorenzo. He dislocated his shoulder rather badly. He's bad, did he? He was, he, was, he was riding in the... Uh, no, I, 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 sorry, I saw... Saturday. He did it on Saturday. No, Marquez did it. Sorry, Marquez. Marquez. Sorry, did I, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I threw you no, the curveball there because yeah, I was completely saw, wrong, yes. Yeah, Marcus in, in, in qualifying, as you know, because I have a tendency to do the same thing. He's obviously got a, a loose joint as well after banging it out several times. I, and I, and I wince whenever I see him has done that. But I will say that if he's got the same problem as I have, um, mine was earned by falling over in a ski queue. Uh, he's <laughs> earned by multiple crashes <laughs> that make him fit. It's absolutely true. Um, uh, he uh, Actually, when you pop it back in again, it's fine. <laughs> It's so loose. It's fine when it goes. It hurts like belly when it comes out. You once you dislocated your shoulder in the back of a car when I was driving you to somewhere yep. when you reached for a sweetie that I was passing you. No, I reached for you. It was a chocolate from the, from the Eurotunnel. Was it really? I knew it I was, was sweet. They're dangerous, those Eurotunnel chocolates. Oh, was they the back are. Of your, back of the, either one of the, one of the A6s you had, yeah. yeah. I and mean, that's the point. It's, it is, it is. so you know, even without, I mean, obviously, impact's taken out. So when I, when I fell off my bike at Rockingham, it came out. Uh, but also, weird things can just take it out. So, yeah, it's that loose. I'm pretty certain that he, knowing that he did dislocate his shoulder once earlier this year, and he's obviously before I, that that one wouldn't have been repaired, so it may well be he's now got a loose one that'll need, need to do some a nip up on it just to make it less likely to happen. And the problem uh, with that is, of course, that he's, it, it will cause him issues even when he's driving. Well, riding. The thing, sorry. The weird thing about it is that um, when you're riding, you don't get the shoulder into positions which actually 
if you're on the bike, that, that will cause it to fall out. The the brace, brace, brace as you brake is absolutely fine the way the, where the energy is going through into the shoulder. And even when you're actually leaning out, you're not really doing anything uh, particularly tricky for it. It's when you fall out and you're, you're wafting your arm around. That's when it falls out. Yes, which is not nice. As a dislocation correspondent now. Well, I've but only dislocated the shoulder once when I high-sided on me um, Suzuki 900 when I was taking it for its first service. Yeah, once is very painful. Mm. <laughs> but I've been lucky since then. It's never really given me that much trouble. So how old were you? Uh, oh, don't ask that. Uh, it's an M bike. So what's that? 95. 94, uh, 95. No, no, no. Well, you're quite, quite lucky then, because normally if you do it over the age of 22 or 25, it doesn't go back, because it's a ligament, and ligaments don't really repair themselves. I dislocated the shoulder and ran into a lamppost. Not not the bike, you understand, just me. That sounds quite quite, quite dangerous. Yeah, obviously there, there is no street furniture at Valencia. See what I did there? <laughs> uh, Thank goodness. And, and Andrea Vioso won after uh, Marquez fell off um, quite early on. Um Alex Rins came second. Uh, Paul Esparaga came third despite falling off, but he fell off in the two laps in between. Um, uh, he, he, what happened was that he fell off and then they threw a red flag. And when they counted back two laps, he hadn't fallen off, if you understand what I mean. So he was allowed to retake the stop. <laughs> um, it's true. Um, and I, so this is, uh, about, this is a bit like Florida elections. We just keep yeah. on going until we get the result that you want. And Valentino Rossi fell off for the second time, second race in a row, and this time remounted to come 13th and get about three points. Um, the net effect of the whole thing was that uh, Dovioso finishes second overall, and Rossi comes third in the championship by about four points from his teammate um, Maverick Vignales, who had a much better finish to the season. And both of them thought that they would um, have scored big points if it hadn't been for the, the very heavy rain mm. and falling off, obviously, which is which is quite important. Um, it has been particularly wet at Valencia this week because yesterday, just as everybody was getting ready to go out on the new bikes, it rained. This morning it was still damp, but there was a bit of running today on the new bikes. I have yeah. to say, fair play to the guys at MotoGP who did a great job yesterday afternoon and a, a, a even an even better job this morning when nobody really wanted to go out. I was transfixed by their coverage of nothing on track. Well, it's, it's, it's a talent you need to have, I think, sometimes. Um, yeah, they've got, they got some decent rain this afternoon um, and really, you can't tell very much from any of it, really. Um, you know, Yamaha have had a slight surge for the back end of the season. Um, obviously, KTA Paul Sparrow got their first podium, but that was in a chaos-ridden ridden race. Um Yes, but people got people got a chance to try their new bikes. So you know, we saw, um, uh, you know, we, we got uh, Dan Danilo Petrucci on a works Ducati. We had Jorge Lorenzo actually on the Honda. Um, you had uh, Andrea Iannone on two the, versions of the new Honda, not just one version. He's already oh. driven, he's already ridden the new Honda at um, <laughs> Aragon, and he had that out, and just as he was. Prepared to go out on version 2019 V 2.0, the rain came down, so he didn't get it, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you had uh, your own Zarco, who's gone to KTM. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it, they've, they've gone around, they've pounded around, they've, they've done the, the, the test, they've, they've, the ones who have transferred this year mostly on carbon fiber bikes with no logos and neutral leathers, but. Um, this is kind of sees the end of the. the I, liked the, I liked the black uh, uh, the black bikes, the carbon bikes. 
but you know, I'm a I'm a sucker for black bikes, and I did like the non-branded leathers as well. You know, it, it, it does appear to be one of the most GP traditions, though, is that they kind of can run in this um, post-season test the day after. Whereas uh, I think you'll find there's been a number of people not allowed to change teams for the Abu Dhabi test after um, after this final race of the season. There's still so, quite but... a few people in the MotoGP paddock who can't actually say anything about anything to anyone. Yes, there are a lot of people. quite funny. Because anything they say will be taken taken as, as a, a contradiction of a previous statement they've made for a previous company on a previous contract. So, yeah. Um yeah, I think it's uh, it, yeah, it's it, the key question is really going into the winter is whether whether Yamaha can find a direction which, which will challenge uh, Honda, whether Lorenzo can get up to speed uh, with Marquez uh, at any point, and whether, and whether Yamaha have actually built yeah. a bike that's any good at all. Yeah, so and Ducati, you know, they they, they kind of still need a, they've kind of lost the man they thought would be their top line rider, um, and Davizioso is not, um, you know, he's his his stock in trade is finishing every race and the reason he's so far behind Marquez is because he fell off that it was like three out of four times in the middle of the season so um, it'd be nice to think that someone's going to put a bit more of a challenge on uh, on Marquez next year I'm not convinced at this moment but hopefully I'm proven wrong uh, and by the way the, the version that we were looking for was this that's what I queued up as well that's what you wanted wasn't it yeah it, it, it goes a little like this Oh! Oh no, it doesn't. That was definitely not what I was expecting. No, no, that's excellent though. That's excellent because that's the show of the year. Yeah. Well, we'll be having that late, little later on. Is that the Is house it? of the year show? Is that what we're doing? Now, that's actually uh, what we need to that's do. That's a good idea. House of the year. House of the year show. Apparently, there's uh, something called shed of the year. Really? Yeah. Martin Haven will be very, very envious. Very envious indeed. What we're moving on to next, Tim, we're on Series 13, Episode 45, hence the Stars on 45 reference. Go ahead. Uh, Formula One. Hooray! By the way, yeah. in your tour of the British Isles, where are you? I'm in Dublin. Oh, right, so you... I don't... Sp- no, be careful. Yes. Be careful. Right. I've done Scot I've done Scotland, Wales, uh Republic of Ireland and America in and the UK in ten days. So Joe's back to America on Monday. I know. I said to him why'd you why bother coming up? Exactly, that's what I said. Because he couldn't stand watching any more Harry Potter movies, apparently is what he said. Yeah, that would be a major reason not to not to they, around. They do have them on the, in the cinema here as well. Uh, let's not even go there. Uh yeah. so you're in Dublin for what day work? Yeah, it's just a day. I'm back home tomorrow evening. All right, okay. Well, very good. Uh, very good interwebnet. Well, uh, thank the, the thank the hotel. Well, clearly no hard border there then. That's that's friction. <laughs> that's frictionless. That uh, Nick coming through to us. Uh, well, so so. Formula One, Nick. Where would you, uh, Tim? Where are Where would you like to go? Uh, we're going to start with a tale of uh, blackmail and sabotage. Oh, excellent! I'm very pleased about that. <laughs> uh, Fernando Alonso tried to bribe. <laughs> Tried to bribe McLaren into sabotaging yeah. Lewis Hamilton's car at the Hungarian Grand Prix yeah. in 2007. Yeah. So we're, 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 we're going to report so on it's a historical, historical blackmail. Uh, something that happened 11 years ago, are we? Has this just come out? Yes. Well, it's not really come out. What's happened is Andrew Benson uh, for the BBC has written a, a succession of articles where he has distilled some of the rumours and uh, talked to some people and 
the interesting piece of news which, which Tim is alluding to is whilst we all knew there was a massive breakdown, a massive row and a massive everything at Hungary in 2007, which led to, the, to um, him being, uh, the contract being terminated with McLaren, led to the infamous uh, legal case which saw him being fined $100 million at Max Moses' behest. Um, the never actual, got paid, by the way. Well, I think they paid back. Um, the actual... Um, situation was apparently what what Fernando asked after getting absolutely livid about various gamesmanship in qualifying uh, he actually said that he wanted to he wanted McLaren to make sure that Lewis ran out of fuel during the race and this is the same Andrew Benson that says if it's hap- it's if it's happening in Formula One I would know about it so Mark Webber cannot possibly be leaving because I haven't heard about it he's not leaving he's not going to Porsche because I've not heard about it that's the same Andrew Benson who answered a tweet uh, in fact didn't answer a tweet answered something that we reported as the fields were coming to the line at Silverstone, Silverstone for the WEC isn't it yeah but anyway uh, this is this is this I'm is just talking credibility stuff. here. No, I, I, I don't. See, I, I see no reason to think this isn't the truth, at all. Um, Alonso is very annoyed, and he wants to. He wants to get back. Apparently, within an hour. So this is fair game now because Alonso is leaving. It's not so much fair game. I think. I think what what Andrew was trying to do is trying to put some context on on that particular season, and also some of the other poor decisions which CD Porter and how he's managed to be leaving in the, in, you know, in four, four days time with only two only world, championship, two world two, championships. Yes. You know, when, you know, in any other driver of his talent at the time he was racing, um, should have had at least four, or possibly five, you know, and he, and he was very close to winning three others, but you know, it, it, it's one of those things that sometimes, you know, it, I think we, Alonso can turn around. And he can ch- he can chase the he can chase the triple crown, which he may well may well win, and that'll assuage him. But he he knows, he knows that he shot himself in the foot uh, with chance of other world championships. Luckily, he did win two, so he isn't he isn't sitting there with no world championships. But um, you know, he his legacy has been mostly affected by his his own political ineptitude. But he was still the best driver of his generation. No. Yes. Only his generation is five years. Because up until 2006, it was Michael Schumacher. No, no, you see, I... No, Schumacher Sch- never outperformed his car. Never, ever. What? Oh, John, please. No. Please, let's not have that conversation now. No, we saw we what happened. We don't have time for that conversation now, anyway. We, no, no, so let's on, move hang on. on. Hang on, no, hang we on. haven't got time. No, 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 just, okay, I'll just reply to that. When he got into a bad car, he was comprehensively beaten by his teammate. No. Nope. Schumacher. Can I just when put he down... Came back. No. You, you, and you, it, complete, you... it completely and utterly put into context his, his no. performance before that. No, it didn't. This is the whole point. You don't, you don't judge Paul McCartney by the terrible albums he's producing now, do you? Well, yes, well, I do. Yes, yes, I do, actually, because I'm not a Beatles fan, but that's but, a different thing. All right, let's move on. Sorry, Tim's right. Just, We've got a lot yeah. to fit in. Let's A no, lot no, to fit no, in. That's, Nick's that's, wrong. Anyway, I'm right. Let's move on. Robert Kubica will be Williams' second driver. As we described last week, Yes. and now it's been confirmed. This is Paul had won Russian nil as far as money's concerned, Nick. Uh, perhaps it's perhaps it's a a wake up call realizing that taking the money has not been a path to success and has lost the money. Ooh, uh, like uh, that. Uh, 
Um, like that. And you kind of think, you know, what can we do? What can we, you know, how can we make this better? Well, let's, let's at least take away all the criticism. Yeah, there is a, seems to be a financial black hole. So that mm. obviously Robert is bringing money from Poland and, 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 you know, Poland, I'm sure has several companies who can produce a reasonable amount of wedge. Um, but Williams obviously has decided a bit, a little bit more on, um, on performance next year. Um, and perhaps hopefully hoping also that having Robert might attract a, a, at least a partial or semi title spot sponsor. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a great thing. I think it's it's good to give the, the best available driver or at least one of the better available drivers a chance to come back and show what you can do. Uh, What's, what do you think he'll bring to the team? Um, Positive publicity. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, 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 no one, I don't know how fast he is. I've no idea how fast one is. No one's going to know until we get into race weekend. Um, yeah, he probably will struggle you know, physically at Monaco just steering the car, but the rest of the play, perhaps not. But we, no one knows. Let, let, let's find out. You know, he's he's not going to be the man he was in 2008, but, but then again, he was very, very, very good. So he's only half a level off. That's fine. Instant the Midweek Motorsports Series uh, 13, episode 45. Nick Damon is on the line from Dublin. Uh, nothing to do with motorsport why he's there, so don't start putting any conspiracy theories uh, together. Uh, more Formula One news. Uh, it's the final round this weekend. It is the at... final round, and also the final round of Formula Two this weekend. Ah. Before we go on to that, is there actually anything to sort out this weekend, Nick? Nothing important. Um, some minor positioning can can turn round. There's still a chance of some of the minor places in the um, constructors' championship, but nothing really that matters. Right. Uh, so Formula Two final round because it's going to be called what in the future? No, it's no, just, it's just the final, final round, round of the season. Oh uh, right, okay, right. I see what you mean. And what's up for grabs, Tim? Uh, a, an empty race seat, which has been taken by Dan Tictum. Yes, he's, he's fresh from his victory in the uh, Macau F3 Grand Prix, and he's decided to have a go at F2. It's interesting because I read somewhere else he was going to go to Super Formula next year. So well, he might do next year. Who knows? But you think we, we, we're going to go to Super Formula next year? Obviously, not going to race in F2. So why are you having an F2 F2 one off? But who am I? Who, who? How do I know how the uh, the placement of the Red Bull young drivers go? Indeed. And on the subject of Red Bull Young Drivers, uh, the Formula E entry list has been released and it has uh, Alex Albon back on it. Yes, obviously they haven't quite sorted. He's managed to miss, the, he's managed to miss all the practice due to uh, contractual wrangles and the, obviously the contractual wrangles are continuing. Um, and you've got to be very careful with the contract in Nissan these days. Things can go horribly wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, until that's extricated, he'll be uh, on the list because you have to nominate someone. He can obviously be replaced up until the start of the weekend in uh, Saudi Arabia. And if the negotiations go the way he wishes them to do, then he'll be in Toro Rosso next year. If they don't, then he'll be in the Nissan. So he's not. It's a difficult situation. We'll see how it pops out and what actually gets decided and when. And there's a whole bunch of female drivers who are going to be doing Formula E tests as well. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I, it does appear. I, I don't know whether I've missed a press release saying we're going to make it. You know, that's what we're going to do. We're all going to choose. Um, you know, uh, very good lady drivers. But it does seem rather odd. I think seven of them are going to be testing the car. Where's the um, test, Nick? In Saudi Arabia, where obviously yes. they may or may not be allowed to drive to the track. Um, 
So I'm not whether it's a political statement being made or Bit of a PR backfire, that, don't you think? No, I think it's a political statement. Do you think? Yes. Oh, do you think... Sorry, I was completely missing that. Because obviously they shouldn't be there in the first place. Any FIA championship shouldn't be going to a state like that. But hey. Well, unfortunately, there's lots of places you can say about lots of countries, and you have to be very, you know, if you start putting a, a you know, a, a moral clause into a lot of races, a lot of places will fail it. Um, and then who's judging it is the question. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in any way supporting what's been going on in, in that part of the world, but um, it's a very slippery slope. Who thinks Toro Rosso need to change everything? Pierre Gasly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And they, they are well, well, they've him. started by changing him. Yeah. So, so they've actually followed his advice in some respects, haven't they? There. Yeah. It's apparently they've, they've had a bit of a slump, and he, he thinks it's not on the slump. So what he's going to do is he's going to. They think they should start from scratch, work out what's gone wrong the last couple of races, and do everything different. Mm. Um, I don't know whether he thinks it's a slump because Brendan's been matching him. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yes. So, yeah, yeah, he I mean, did make I mean, it yeah, to Q3, like, didn't he? I mean, I, what, what I think, yeah, there's, there's a rumour that um, Lewis might have to take a new engine um, because he damages in Brazil. So, to me, what they should do is they should give Lewis a brand new engine, not not rerun an old mileage one, stick him in, start him from 11th or 12th, have the thing turn up to 11th for the entire race because it could do it and see what happens. Mm. Yeah. It's still a track to overtake on, but it'd still be quite fun to see that Mercedes running full black from you know, effectively having a, an engine only needs to do 300 kilometers and not two and a half thousand mm-hmm. moving on uh, that's pretty much all I've got for Formula 1 this week we'll obviously right, so who wins at the weekend um, I think Spectator nope <sighs> no, really I think not. I'm going to say this I'm going to go right out on a limb and I'm going to say because Lewis is going to take a penalty that Valtteri Bottas is going to win ah actually I think that's a pretty good assessment that Mr Damon I agree with you on that um, and I think that a Red Bull will be second mm. Mm. okay no Ferrari nope right next to Ferrari world the biggest Ferrari logo in the world at 562 oh, yeah. square metres. A Ferrari? <laughs> no? No. I, no. Okay. That's nothing against Ferrari, just that it didn't happen. Uh, are we saying bye-bye to Nick now? No, because we need I his mean... nominations. Oh, 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 this. oh, oh, Now this is time for this. Uh, the Man of the Year show is our show annual awards event. It's just the show of the year now. Yes, the thing of the year. The thing, the show of the year. Seven categories. Seven? Which you oh, listeners right. will be voting on, and one of which uh, you will even be choosing. So we'll be talking about the listener award a little bit later on. Yep. But the other six categories have nominations uh, from our very own talent. Uh, the first of those categories is car of the year. Uh, did I mention that we need Trey Adam for this as well? No, I asked you if you... <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Are we doing it all at the same time or individually? We're doing... Well, I'm going to go through each category and then go round in a circle with the four of you. Uh, okay, in which case, stand by and I will sort that out for you. <laughs> right. Go on. 
What's the first category? The first category is Car of the Year, and uh, for that, let's start with you, John. Uh, my Car of the Year this year is the Mercedes F1 car. Best Car of the Year. It was the best car of the year before the year even started. It's been proved to be the best car of the year, and it's won everything. So it's the Car of the Year. Johnny Palmer, let's uh, get your suggestion for Car of the Year. You can, yes. Um, it's actually a car that started racing in 2016, but it's had a very good year in 18. It's the Mercedes AMG GT3. It started pretty well by taking victory at Dubai in January, and uh, its most vi- recent victory was at Cota in the 24H series. But also, it's pretty much cleaned up in the Blancpain um, championships i.e. the overall with Raffaele Marchiella, who won the Sprint Cup as well, the uh, Sprint Championship with the Acker team as well. And in the Endurance Cup, it was Maro Engel, Lucas Stoltz and Yelma Berman, also in an AMG. So Mercedes for me in 2018. Uh, Shay Adam, let's take your car of the year next. My car of the year. Hello, everyone. Hello, Shay. The Ford GT. Because it won five out of the 11 IMSA races, including the rounds at the 24 Hours of Daytona, the Salem Six Hours of the Glen, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, Lime Rock Park, and Road America in a very competitive GTLM class. It stole the Manufacturers Championship away from Corvette Racing, which is a feat all in itself. Yeah, absolutely. Third place finish at Le Mans. And Nick Damon. I'm going to choose um, a Formula One car, but. Kelsey Price. After after John's glib Mercedes, it was the best car. It won everything. It wasn't the best car. It, was. it wasn't the best car for half. It wasn't the best. Hang on, my word. It wasn't the best car for half the season. And yes, it won things, but but it won things due to as much the errors of other cars as its own achievement. I'm going to nominate the car which has come from furthest back to catch everyone else up without much money, and that's the Sauber C37. Mm-hmm. Um, which has also managed to uh, showcase the talents of um, his eye, Leclerc, and also make Marcus Ericsson look half decent. So it's a pretty good car. Um, they took a while to get their handle on it. Um, set up. It's just got better and better and better as they, as they got to know it more. And I think for improvement on the previous year and, and points per buck is the Sauber C37 for me. And there was me thinking he would pick the uh, Toyota Rally car. Uh, What's yours, Tim? I don't have uh, to do this. Oh, harsh. <laughs> uh, the next category uh, is going to be race of the year. And this time we'll start with Shay. My race of the year, Petit Le Mans. No further explanation needed. Hmm. <laughs> uh, okay. First one without Dr. Pianos. It was a very good race. There was a lot of emotion. Hard to argue with that shit. Uh, Johnny, yeah. your, your uh, race of the year, Johnny? Stand out for me, a strange race as in the end to it. We had to wait a long, long time to get something like a 90-minute chunk finally restarted, but it was the 24 hours at Nürburgring. Mm. Many people actually said that that race should have been stopped when there was a downpour, but patience was had by the race director. We did restart, and um, as always with these things, you know, it's either fair for the team that wins and not fair for everybody else. I know Aston Martin... Uh, were a bit um, aggrieved to not get the race flagged when they were in a great position. But in the end, Porsche victorious at the Nürburgring 24. And it was just one heck of a scrap because Fred Makoviki with that overtake with, what, about 50 minutes still to go, 
just enthralling um, and the standout race of the year for me, the Nürburgring 24 hours. Uh, Nick, next. Oh, uh, fed him up then. My, my race of the year is the Azerbaijan Grand Prix um, because it had everything in just under two hours and it also kind of set the the, the themes and rhythms for an entire season. Um, we saw uh, the two Red Bulls scrap too much and take each other out. We saw uh, an early mistake from Sebastian Vettel, which threw away a certain, well, almost certain victory in definite second place, but a fourth over-ambitious overtaking manoeuvre. We saw the bad luck of um, Valtteri Bottas kicking hard when he uh, ran over a bit of debris and lost the end. But in the end, the man who won the race and kick-started his season was Lewis Hamilton. So it was a microcosm of the entire season in one race, Super action as well. And Nick uses the word microcosm for which he gets extra points. <laughs> you get a lot of points in Scrabble for microcosm. <laughs> Depends where you put it on the board, but yes. Well, you've got two M's. and uh, John? Uh, my race of the year isn't, strictly speaking, a race, but it's something that happened at a race. And I can't disagree with any of the nominations so far. And I looked at all... I could have probably nominated pretty much 75% of MotoGP... I think all of the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge this year, but instead I've gone for something that happens once in my lifetime. And I wasn't there to see it, but I tuned in to watch the Remembrance Service at the Race of Remembrance at Anglesey this year. And uh, Nick and Johnny and Di did a fabulous job covering the race, but the actual service of remembrance at the race of remembrance on the 100th anniversary on the 11th day of the 11th month and at the 11th hour when the armistice was signed and the guns fell silent that's probably the most important broadcast we'll ever do in our lifetime and i thought that was for me the race of the year uh, the third category is young driver of the year so let's uh, this time let's start can with can i ask a question about that yes is it 21 or 18? It's uh, 21. Uh, they're 21st, That's changed, isn't it? 21st birthday, yes. 21st uh. birthday has to be uh, on or after the 2nd of January. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny? Lots of choices here. Um, and I'm not going to name the other guys that uh, were potentially going to win it for me because they might be other people's candidates. But um, so far... Uh, leading the championship in Formula 2 is a man called George Russell and Mm, I've uh, admired him since his junior career junior junior single-seater career in the UK ever since he was a young boy (laughs) ever since he was a young boy ever since he was a young boy and uh, I was a younger boy 2013, 2014-ish, he was, I know he was the winner of the BRDC Formula 4 championship four years ago and currently leading Formula 2 George Russell Uh. Nick, next. Okay, um, I've heard two things. First of all, I, up until about 10 minutes ago, I thought it was 18. And secondly, um, if, it, if it was 21, I probably would have chosen George Russell as well. But I'm going to choose someone who won't win mm. and who, outside of John, none of you will have heard of. Right. And it's an Italian guy by the name of Davide Ongaro. Oh. Who recently won the premier... RC World Championship, the one eighth um, off-road uh, championship down in Australia, and a more um, a more against the odds. Two years ago, no one ever thought it happened. He yeah. has come on so far. He is the most his his car 
remote control car driving talent is so good that there was a massive accusation he was cheating because they felt he had inhuman skills. Yes. And it took a close-up video we produced at a different event to prove how he was doing it. They thought it was something called a gyro in his car, self-controlling it. Uh, he's a great, he's a fantastic lad. He's one of these, he's uh, rarely for an Italian um, in, in RC. He he's, knows that the whole, this whole thing is about PR. He's taught himself English in the last two years. So I interviewed him two years ago when I was a big race, and it always in translation. And when he lost the European Championships on a mechanical problem, he was able to express himself brilliantly in English, and that which I was very impressed by. Mm. He is the fastest person in RC. He's only uh, just turned 70. He's got a fabulous family. And... Just look. If you don't know who he is, just look him up and look up and, and, and enjoy the RC racing as well. But he is a absolute standout talent. Yeah, very good. Definitely falls within the age range. Yeah, uh, John. Uh, my young driver is the very definition of a young driver because he was so young he wasn't allowed to actually take part in the championship that formed the most part of his season, which was the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge and. Um, he drove for Mini. He was also uh, a part of Jeremy Shaw's Team USA who came across to the UK. That's Colin Mullen, who has been absolutely brilliant this year from not a huge background of circuit racing. And I thought what he did this year for somebody who had no front-wheel drive experience, not a lot of circuit racing uh, experience, and as I say, was under 16 in the first two rounds of the season. Otherwise, he'd been in with a shout for the Drivers', Drivers Championship in ST. Thought he did well. It was a name to follow for the future. And if Jeremy thought Shaw thinks he's that good and he hasn't come from a single-seater background, he's very good indeed. <laughs> uh, Shay, your final uh, one to choose a young driver? Well, I was going to copy John, and then I thought I would go down a different path that also is from Jeremy Shaw's recommendation. A kid from a single-seater background with 28 race wins this year and two championships. It's got to be Kyle Kirkwood. He's climbing the Mazda Road to Indy as it was this year, next year the Cooper Tire Road to Indy. He's somebody we need to watch. He went on to win the Michelin Encore this year, driving with Roman DeAngelis. Kyle, super down to earth, super nice guy, but man, is he fast. Uh, our next category is for non-driver of the year. This is uh, any one uh, person or people or things uh, that are not racing drivers. Uh, let's stay with Shay and go uh, cool. go Shay first on this one. Corvette Racing as a team, and I'm not talking about the drivers, but the engineers, the crew guys who go over the wall, the brains on the box, and the leadership behind the scenes, because they worked, once again, two cars into one, 12 podium finishes. They got their drivers, their second consecutive drivers' championship. Corvette Racing, the way that they function for all the individuals to come together as one. Mm. They're not my team of the year, but they are my non-driver of the year. And how they came together to go and do Shanghai with uh, individuals from both of the cars as well. That's a good shout here. I like that. Thank you. Uh, Johnny. Yes. Um, Manti Racing have, yes. well, were sort of a, a contender for me for, for team of the year. Um, I'm spoiling things by saying they haven't won that for me uh, in 2018. But with such a dominant display at Le Mans, okay, helped by a safety car when the 92 
won in GTE Pro, but they had to be there to kind of luck into that scenario. They were victorious at the Nürburgring 24 hours, and also Manti have been busy um, with the 2019 spec of GT3 911 as well. So I'm going to give it jointly, if that's okay mm-hmm. with you, Tim, to Nicholas and Martin Raider, who are the uh, current bosses of Manti Racing after Olof uh, stepped away a couple of years ago. Good, like that. Uh, Nick? Uh, on, Nick? I am going to give it to someone who has to manage effectively 700 people, um, several hundred million dollars of budget, um, and still DAs with high-paid superstars, small mechanics, um, talks to press, and that's Toto Wolf. We don't know Kansas anymore, Toto. Yep, Toto Wolf. Um, no, I mean, I think, he I think was going to be my choice, job. actually. He was going to be my, my choice. Um, Except he wasn't your it, choice. It's it's, it's yeah, it's amazing because I, I I think he gets un, underestimated what he he does and how he pulls together the team. Obviously, the teams this time had to uh, come against several challenges during the year, and they've always come back stronger. Um, also, he produced a very funny video with his wife, which I thought was very amusing when they were driving each other around. I think it was like a Suzuka. But Toto is a very very good character for F1, and it'd be a big pity in a few years' time when he goes to high finance in Germany, as is the rumor. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Uh, John, your non-driver of the year. My non-driver of the year, it's a bit of a lifetime achievement award. Somebody who has won the Le Mans 24 hours overall, has won Spa and Nürburgring uh, 24 hours 10 times between them, DTM, World Touring Car Championship and European Touring Car Championship, and is stepping away from his current job now at the end of this season although I am sure because it runs through him he will continue to be involved in BMW and that's Carl Lamb, Charlie Lamb who is and has been a tremendous servant to the sport over many years and there just aren't people like that left anymore that's why he gets it for Let's me. move on to team of the year, let's start with Johnny this time Team of the year, not Mantis I've already expressed uh, but a team that are uh, very successful, well, some people might say because there's nobody up against them currently um, in the championship that they are racing, but also uh, in another very competitive championship uh, held in entirely different conditions. I'm being really vague here, but it's going to go to Toyota Gazoo Racing, finally getting victory at Le Mans after so many years of trying and, and just horrendous luck up until 2018. They currently lead the World Endurance Championship as well with two wins for each of their cars, but also now victorious in the World Rally Championship too. So Cologne-based Toyota Gazoo Racing. Uh, Nick? Uh, Mercedes AMG F1. Um, because they didn't have the best car, but they still <laughs> produced the best result. And it is a um, monument to what a real massive team can be. You saw the celebrations that the whole team had when the Constructors' Championship following Brazil, it's all you need to know about what a real team is. Mercedes Shay. AMG F1. Shay. Core Autosport, mm-hmm. the Giant Slayers, they came second in the Prototype Championship ahead of a whole slew of teams that they should really not have, but they proved us wrong this year. Two wins on the season in a LMP2 car versus the DPIs. John Bennett and Colin Brown did a phenomenal job to win the two races at Road America and Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. And Core Autosport never gave up and showed us that even the little guys can go out there and get a win. John. 
uh, little guys for me as well, the little team that did. That's Ted Giovannis Motorsport, uh, set out with four drivers and two cars just before the start of the season, changed the way they thought they were going to run the championship in terms of their driver pairings. But Hugh Plum and Owen Trinkler delivered the championship, but not without the help of Guy Cosmo and Ted Giovannis and everybody behind the scenes. It wasn't the fancy team. They weren't expected to do it, but they produced a championship-winning performance. The whole team, top to bottom, front to back, and not without some personal tragedy uh, within that season. Ted Giovannis Motorsport wins it for me. Uh, final category uh, that's nominated by our talent is Man of the Year, which doesn't have to be a man. Person. Uh, it has to, be, has to be human. Individual uh, of the year. Let's start with uh, John this time. Uh, he had the best car of the year, but I am not going to... Uh, Sebastian Vettel. I am not going to nominate him <laughs> for his driving, but how he behaved out of the car... I've been critical of this person in the past. I I think in the last couple of years he's come of age. He's become the elder statesman that he needs to be in Formula One. And uh, he has changed his attitude and therefore he's changing other people's attitudes, including this cynical old fool here. And that's Lewis Hamilton, person of the year. Shay Adam. Um, men of the year for me because I can't distinguish them. They accomplished... Three phenomenal victories together, Nürburgring 24, the 12 Hours of Sebring, and Petit Le Mans. It was the first win for the new Porsche, the mid-engine Porsche at the 12 Hours of Sebring this year. The first 24-hour win for the car at the Nürburgring 24. You can't look past Patrick Pillay, Nick Tandy, and mm. Frederick Makovecki for what they were able to do as one. Nick Damon. Now, I know historically... Um, we're always supposed to choose someone different, aren't we? That's the rules. Yes. Um, but in this particular uh, category, uh, I can't. And I am nominating the man who has been, by far and away, the best racing driver of the season, probably the last few Queenie? seasons, and has won a championship without the fastest car, and has dominated it. <laughs> Not Gabrielle Tarquini, um, then. And I'm sorry to break with the tradition, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't nominate anyone else with anything other than a cynical word. The man of the year, the racing driver of the year is Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Johnny? After watching him, but having the, the uh, joy of watching him across all of the races bar one in the European Le Mans series, and also I mean, my interest in um, Formula E is, is in and out, I have to say, but I was aware of the title battle going into those last few rounds. John Eric Verne, for me, has been a standout driver in the ELMS this year and only missed out on the title because he was busy racing in Formula E elsewhere for one of the rounds. But um, he would have been champion, uh, champion otherwise. And being the class of the... I always look forward to his stints in the ELMS because he just sort of blows everybody else out of the water that he's uh, competing with uh, on, on track at that very moment. And... But I suppose now that he's no longer in Formula One, has sort of stepped away from or is no longer in the limelight necessarily, but still very, very busy with his motorsport. Um, busy probably every weekend and just supremely fast. So a nearly title winner in ELMS. Very good. Definitely a champion in Formula E. Jean-Éric Verne for me. Uh, thank you, Johnny. Uh, maybe more from Johnny later. Uh, we take a bite to Nick Damon now, though. 
Bye, Nick. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Uh, and we'll be telling you about the uh, listener award in the second hour of this show, so stay tuned for that. Okay. Uh, but next we move on to sports cars. And the thorny subject of driver rankings, which we could probably fill a whole programme with probably every week, actually. Uh, Delighted to say that on the line talking to us is the uh, Director of Racing for IMSA, Paul Walter. Good evening, Paul. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well, Paul, and thank you for taking the time to speak to us so close to the holidays there in the United States. Uh, to uh, paraphrase uh, one of your uh, your greats there, you can't uh, please all of the people all of the time. Um, what we've had in the last few years, Paul, IMSA has followed along with the FIA rankings. Um, th- there's been a little bit of a, a diversion from that, a little bit of a diversion. First of all, give us the background behind why that was thought necessary. Basis for that has long existed within the FIA driver categorization regulations. Uh, it specifically says that any series uh, may retain the right to adjust the categorization to the specific nature of their own series. So, globally, with nearly 4,000 drivers on the FIA list and numerous series participating in this process and using these ratings, not everything is expected to be universally applicable. And a number of other series have, far earlier than IMSA, uh, chosen to specifically rank a driver for their own series. And IMSA has made every effort so far to follow along with the FIA ratings as delivered. However, with our recent focus on performance, which is a major but only one portion of the factors of what the FIA ratings committee looks at. We found only really two drivers that somewhat fall outside the parameters as IMSA sees them specific to its own series. But how then do you go about the process of recategorizing those drivers, or indeed any driver with the FIA rankings there are a set of criteria and that you can do a pretty much an if then if you've won Porsche Super Cup you know where you're going to be if you've placed in F3 or F2 you know you where you're going to be how has how has IMSA set the criteria and applied them well it's certainly not binary by any means there's a there's a fair degree of of judgment and consideration put into place by the committee itself however uh, the the FIA regulations stipulate a large number of uh, large number of incidents that would cause a, a ranking to change, and they also stipulate that when a ranking is first given, it's given on the driver's history and age and a number of other factors, whereas ongoing rankings from year to year are driven by the driver's performance, and then also with some of these other criteria. And what IMSA's chosen to do is to focus a little bit more on the performance criteria than on a number of the other uh, lesser factors. With respect to the data that we review, it's because most of what we're doing here is endurance racing. We're looking at top 20 average lap times, race to race. We're looking at that over the course of a season 
because everybody has a bad race or a really good race that may be out of character. So we're looking at that data. That's the same data that the FIA uses for their considerations, but we're focusing on it. So from Scott's announcement at the State of the Series at Road America to today, only a few things have really changed. IMSA has always provided and looked at the same data for the FIA ratings, but we have convened a seven-member panel, uh, the IMSA Driver Evaluation Committee, and that group meets in order to look at the data, review the driver performances, and essentially create the recommendations that I take to the FIA Driver Ratings Committee where I represent IMSA and put forward our recommendations for a coming season's worth of ratings, which the FIA committee then considers and may elect to support or may not. Those lap times, that data that you've collected, are we grading that as a total in terms of all the silvers get looked at and the top guys get looked at closer? Are we talking about looking at that against other people in the same machinery, in the same car, teammates? Well, we look at all of those things uh, that you've just mentioned. Uh, We start with the overall season. We start with race by race looking at lap times overall. And when we look at the data, it becomes fairly evident the striation of silver drivers within the gold and platinum level from a performance standpoint, and the reverse is also true. So we're we're looking at, one, all drivers. Mm -hmm. Two, we're looking at drivers that appear to stand out, meaning that their performance is either significantly higher or significantly lower than other drivers of their same categorization. So there are a number of factors that cause us to zero in on one or more drivers uh, with respect to whether or not we need to review where they sit within the existing rankings. And is there a tipping point, Paul, when you crunch the numbers, a percentage or a line that says, right, when we've hit that line, somebody is going to have a change? Or is it slightly more subjective than that? I wouldn't necessarily call it subjective, but it's also not a line. And it can't be a line because you're looking at performance over a season. So realistically, as I said, you know, if it was simply one race, you could look at it and go, okay, here's the threshold, this performance. But by the time you start comparing where a given driver is across the course of an entire season, and then you factor in the type of circuit and the length of the race and their teammates' performance and all these other factors, it's not a distinct line across yeah. across the data. It is more of a it, it, it is more of a representation across the data when you take all of these factors into consideration. Which is actually quite a hard thing to explain. So thank you very much for taking the time <laughs> to, to do it. No, I'm serious, Paul, because the thing is, you know, I know a lot of people have issue with driver rankings, but one thing I've always said about the, you know, particularly with the FIA rankings, you know that there's an if-then kind of relationship. That tends to be more championship places and, and race finishes based. You're talking about delving way, way deeper into that and looking at a lot more variables, which 
effectively makes that impossible to write down a set of criteria and make that public. There's, there's only a couple of drivers that this has affected. When they were uh, told of this, were they... I don't expect necessarily for us to see the working out, but were they given the data that you guys worked on and the reasons behind the decision-making that, that was that was come to? Uh, to be honest, I'd, I'd like to leave private conversations with individual drivers as such. Yeah. Um, but to, to be honest about it, what we, what we have done is from the time that uh, the IMSA Driver Evaluation Committee met and even before we presented data to the FIA along with any of the other series that participated in the October meeting. Uh, I specifically contacted each of the drivers that IMSA had a position on and explained to them what that perspective was and how we were going to go forward. In terms of going forward, Paul, the, the other part of IMSA having its having the ability to do what you've done here is to also look at new drivers coming into the into the championship. Well, that's actually a regulation that IMSA added to our series for 2019 because it's all well and fine to look at data from 2018 and make recommendations to the FIA committee, but that's really only IMSA-centric. We have access to a lot of that from the various IMSA series that we have, and that gives us a great starting point. However, what we didn't want to do is then simply have a whole new crop of drivers that we were not familiar with uh, enter the series and find ourselves once again in arrears. The thing to remember about the ratings is that they're not a representation of current performance or standing. They refer to the preceding season or seasons. It's, it's historical. We're, we're looking at a driver who may have a ranking of silver in 2018, but that ranking was developed based on data and performance in 17 and 16 and so forth. So IMSA's regulation states that any team that wants to bring a silver-ranked driver to IMSA that has not previously raced with us needs to present that driver's details uh, to us for consideration. And at that point, uh, IDEC will look at that driver and respond to the team asking whether whether IMSA will respect the FIA rating of silver or if they would apply, if, if IMSA would apply its own rating to that driver for the season. IDEC, by the way, IMSA Driver Evaluation Committee, in case you didn't uh, pick that up. Uh, but we're not talking about making any adjustments to driver rankings race to race or through the season, except in those circumstances where someone's coming into IMSA for the first time and hasn't raced with you. Basically, once it's set, it's set for 2019. Is that correct? Yeah, because realistically, a lot of these driver pairings and team constructs are dependent on the driver ratings. And as such, uh, we, we can't make mid, midstream changes. It's, it would disrupt the entire system. Are you as confident as you can be that the uh, super silver is a concept that you will be able to mitigate at least? Uh, well... I would start by saying that I think that the concept of a super silver uh, probably actually means different things to different people. Fair point. So what am I confident of? I'm confident that IMSA has been 
extremely diligent in reviewing the data and current status of the various drivers that have participated with us. And I think that IMSA is confident that they will be able to reasonably evaluate new drivers and make decisions with the data that is available. Mm. Um, could there potentially be young drivers who are quick beyond their years and so forth as they grow into motorsport? Well, I certainly hope that that would be the case at some level as that's sort of what the, what the sport is based on. Yeah. But with respect to drivers that are incorrectly categorized, uh, those that are that are you know, at a very high level and, and are operating professionally, that's, that's a different concept. Paul, thank you very much indeed. A, a difficult thing to explain, uh, particularly when we can't talk about individual examples, uh, and that's exactly the right way to do it. And I thank you very much, sir, uh, and wish you all the best for the upcoming holiday season. Cheers. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Midweek Motorsport, where we're only halfway. Brilliant stuff uh, from Tim on production. It's Series 13, Episode 45. There's still to come in Hour 2. More of your... Uh, more of your tweets to add speculative and please interested to know what you think of what Paul Walter has just told us about driver rankings. We'll have Shea Adam to talk about that. She'll also be looking at NASCAR and IMSA. But next, it's the big interview. Very Midweek big interview. Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. For the big interview this week on Midweek Motorsport, I haven't had to travel very far, just about 45 minutes from Hindhoff Towers to the home of the British Grand Prix, at least for one more outing, and maybe that's something we'll talk about here with the Managing Director of Silverstone Circuit, Stuart Pringle. Stuart, welcome along to the big interview, and thanks for making some time. Before we get on to anything contentious, and there's bound to be something that uh, all the, uh, the listeners will want to know here, Tell us about 2018, by no means the end of track activity here at Silverstone, but look back on the year and uh, how do you see this year has gone? Uh, well, John, thanks very much for the, uh, the invitation to join you today. Um, as you can see from outside our office window here, in, above the National uh, Pit and Paddock uh, complex at Silverstone, we're still busy. Here we are, middle of, middle of November, and cars are still pounding round. 2018 has been a really positive season for us. Um, you don't need to be the greatest student of motorsport to know that Silverstone's had some, some challenges in the recent past, and we've been on a bit of a... Uh, rebuilding exercise for this business and this has been a really important year for us. Um, from a motor racing point of view it started very positively with the first of the World Rallycross uh, Championship rounds taking place here at Silverstone. Our new track was completed on site, new, new RX track inside the Stowe circuit and uh, that was that was a really uh, positive addition to our calendar of international events wrapped up in much more of a family orientated mm. music festival set up under the banner of Speed Machine as part, uh, part of a, a deal with IMG, the commercial rights holders of, of, of World Rally Cross. But that got us off to, a, to, a, to an excellent start. 
Um, British Grand Prix was very successful. Uh, about the only thing that was missing was Lewis battling from 17th to 1st. He battled from 17th to 2nd. Well, it was a good story. It was a good story. <laughs> and... Uh, of course, there were some other great meetings between Rallycross and, and, and Formula One, but you know, take, taking the, the ones with the majority of people here, that was very good news for us. We did get a bit lucky. We had a stonkingly hot summer. Mm-hmm. Um, England got through the football on Saturday after qualifying. Qualifying itself was a, was, was a real nail-biter at Formula One, and then there was lots of action on track on, on, on race day. And Lewis battled through, and then a red car won, and that's not a bad story. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was very successful, and MotoGP was considerably less successful. We, uh, we really struggled. Well, we didn't struggle. It was, it was a disaster. Uh, the heavens opened. We had the wettest day in the driest summer for 40 years, and uh, the race couldn't take place, and we kept uh, the thick end of 50,000 people waiting in the rain for four and a half hours, and then the race was cancelled. And Lessons to be learned from that, and if so, in, in what direction? Communication, decision-making, liaising with the organisers. Should say it, not, you know, you, you can't, as a venue, you can't uh, influence A, the weather, or, or B, whether the race takes place, can you? No, we can't, uh, but the track is our track, and there were certainly some question marks over the relaying work. Um, we made a big commitment at the beginning of the year, perhaps I should have started with this, we, re- we relayed our surface, it's our core asset. Uh, as part of our challenging financial times, we haven't, we haven't invested in the track uh, in the way that we should have done over the last uh, few years, and so we took the fairly bold decision for us to put the first free money we've had into uh, a resurface. And whilst I can't give you any breaking uh, update on that because an investigation is still ongoing um, with an independent body appointed by both the contractor and us, uh, it does look as though uh, there are some issues that we uh, that we need to understand better. I think I can probably safe to say that. Um, well, it was laid, wasn't it, in extremely difficult weather conditions when the, the beast from the east was blowing through and, and things like that. It was, was that, without giving away anything, was that a potential uh, influencing uh, set of circumstances? It's definitely potentially an influencing uh, factor. Um, in an ideal world, we'd lay it in July, not in, fe- <laughs> not in February. But, you know, uh, the cost to this business of cancelling a month's worth of, of, of track time is another mul- an additional multi-million pound uh, chunk on the bill. And that wasn't realistic. There are ways that you can get around. In fact, uh, in, at Suzuka in Japan, they laid uh, what is widely considered to be one of the best surfaces in January uh, when, when the weather was unbelievably cold. And the FIM hold that up as an example of actually how it can be done at, at um, bad times of year. And indeed, at somewhere like Hereth, uh, they laid it at, uh, with, with a strong ambient temp- temperature and are uh, having to redo the work because it wasn't, it wasn't right either. So it's not as simple as saying uh, the time of year, but uh, I, it, I've actually broken away from, from yet ongo- more ongoing work on this, on, on this issue to, to, to talk to you now. Uh, we've got to get to the bottom of it. The only thing are, are there, sorry, Stuart, but are, are there potential ongoing issues that need to be addressed, or do you? Th- I mean, the unbelievably bad weather was clearly the greatest factor there. Can you make changes to it without having to relay the whole thing so that it won't happen again? I don't know at the moment. Um, 
on the day we could have run the race later in the day probably but uh, for, for reasons that, you, that you've uh, indicated namely it's not entirely a Silverstone decision about whether or not the, the race takes place and I'm absolutely not uh, and never will criticise uh, riders who get on motorcycles in the in wet weather you know uh, they, are, they, they are a different breed uh, but you know uh, it, it, it didn't run the only thing if there was a positive that came out of it uh, it's brought what may be an inherent problem with the laying of the surface to the uh, to the fore straight away True. Um, this could have rumbled on for years we could have had dry race dry race dry race yes. and then this could have been a lot harder to deal with yes. so you know perhaps we count our blessings there and I'm I'm very proud of our team here who uh, dealt with uh, the about 14,500 separate tra- transactions to make sure that 45,000 people got their money back within the month. Wow. Um, and that, you know, that's... People don't understand what, what, what a challenge it is to actually achieve that, but it's a massive undertaking for the business. Um, and it's just annoying that the last three or four percent of people you know we still got one or two rumbling issues and i'm embarrassed about that and i'm really sorry to our customers because none of us set out to cancel races and i don't want to keep on hold of their money and we've managed to give a hundred percent refund plus their car parking back to every every, uh grandstand and general admission ticket holder and and also a a good chunk of the hospitality money is back as well On, on a plus point on two wheels couple of weeks or so in fact was it just a week or 10 days later had a great british superbike round on the shorter version on the i what i still want to call the national circuit it national it's still the national circuit few I've, i feel old sometimes when i talk about various parts of this place because i've been coming here so long um and you know there was eyebrows raised about the fact that it wasn't going to be on the long circuit some of the riders were a bit critical however afterwards they all came back and said what a great meet it was a fantastic meeting and some of the some of the shots that we got of guys spinning up the rear wheel coming out of the final corner oh my it was just outstanding yeah it really worked and that's why we're going to do it again next year and we've been lucky enough to get the opening round of the championship on the national circuit so they come around twice as often and there's somebody in the different in the lead every time (laughs) what's not to like yeah absolutely right so 2018 then um almost in the books um big year for the anniversary as you mentioned um 2019 pace doesn't ease off at all bringing online the Silverstone experience uh, deal signed for the hotel on the international pit street there's a lot of work still going on here and in a week where a circuit close to my heart as you know Rockingham is holding its its last ever uh, track event is it important for Silverstone even Silverstone with all the history that's here to be more than just a racetrack that is, you've summarised it very well, John. That is precisely what this is all about. Even Silverstone can't be just a racetrack nowadays. Yeah. Um, and we need to evolve. And we certainly can't be solely reliant on the British Grand Prix to uh, generate the majority of our revenue. Uh, that's way too much risk. For the avoidance of doubt, as the lawyers like to say, we love hosting F1. We want to continue to host the British Grand Prix. That is very much our wish, and we're fighting very hard to do that. However, we cannot put the rest of the business, at the entire, the entire circuit and the British Racing Drivers Club at risk by signing up to a deal that we can't afford with Formula One. So, you know, hopefully that, in, that conversation remains ongoing. I'm, uh, I'm off to the Grand Prix tomorrow, whenever it is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Friday, to, you know, so we, ha- we have a regular dialogue. 
in many ways, dealing with Formula One is significantly easier nowadays. It's a much bigger organisation. You get operational answers to, to, to questions far more efficiently. That's, that, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting point that you make there. Um, there was always seemed to be, from Bernard Charles Eccleston's size, a little bit of aggravation towards the British Racing Drivers Club and Silverstone. He was never very complimentary about it. But the one thing about Bernie was it was one guy you had to deal with and his decision was law. So you're, you're saying that dealing with the bigger corporate structure actually hasn't made anything difficult, more difficult. Sometimes those, those organisations are more different, difficult to, to, to make a decision with. Uh, Bernie, Bernie was a, essentially a one-man band. Uh, you know, nobody, cracky, built the sport. Uh, you know, again, for the avoidance of doubt, we're all in awe of the sport he, he, he built. And Silverstone has been a beneficiary, uh, cons- you know, considerably over the decades that he was at, he was at the helm. But it was a lean team. Um, from an operational point of view, uh, often you didn't get the answers or the clarity that you needed. And when you're putting on the biggest sporting event in the UK annually, uh, brackets excluding Wimbledon, which takes place over 13 days, not three days, close brackets, um, it, you, know, you need some answers. Um, from a commercial point of view, um, you got more out of Bernie because he knew the thing inside out and, uh, and he was making quick decisions himself. Yeah. Uh, so, so from the commercial point of view, perhaps things are a little slower nowadays, but operationally things are a bit quicker. So it's, you know, it's, it, it swings and roundabouts. But it's uh, really clear that I make, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm not uh, in any way suggesting that we, we don't have a good relationship with Formula One. On the contrary, you know, we're getting a lot done and we recognise that many of their initiatives they're bringing forward are, are, are very positive to the, to the sport. Uh, mm. So, you know, we want to try and host it, but we, we are, we've got two jobs here, John, or I've got two jobs. One is to run the day job more efficiently, motor racing circuit, motor racing events, track days, testing, all that sort of stuff. And that's really now, we, 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 we've hit our stride with that. That's, that's much more consistent. Uh, but the second thing is rewiring the business for the long term. Right. That's where the Silverstone experience comes in, a £20 million educational visitor attraction with science, technology, engineering and maths very much at its heart. I'm trying not to call it a museum because that makes it sound dusty and fusty, which it 100% isn't. It will be as forward-looking as it is rearward-looking, but it will tell the history of where Silverstone's come from, this great sporting moments, the technical successes, the innovation, how that innovation has gone from motor racing through to, uh, through, through to other applications, be it defence, medical, mm. um, et cetera, et cetera, aerospace. Uh, but it's going to look at uh, future technologies that we don't currently employ here at Silverstone, i.e. electricity, EVs, that sort of thing, um, battery power. And it will attract us a different demographic because our current demographic looks very much like you and I, John. Um, we are, are, you know, typical middle-aged men um, from the middle of the country and that's who our customer is. And we need a much broader demographic. Uh, that will be supported by a second project called the Family Entertainment Centre, which if, the, if there's education, fun and education in the, in the Silverstone experience, the Family Entertainment Centre, which is not currently, uh, we don't have a programme date for that to arrive, but it's an aspiration that we deliver it quickly because that will be a fun um, place for families to let off steam, children to let off steam. Um, we don't have a lot for families here at the moment. I, <laughs> I quote my wife. Uh, who I tra- said a few years ago when our kids were a bit younger, do you want to come up because we got whatever it was on this Sunday. It's quite a good meeting. She just looked at me and said, why do I want to bring these three? You haven't even got any bloody swings, unquote. Um, and, you know, we need to address this for families. 
and uh, the hotel will provide much needed accommodation but not really focused on motorsport actually no. I mean of course it will help motorsport but it will make the wing work as the biggest conference and exhibition space between London and Birmingham which yes. it is middle of the country M1 M40 either side dual carriageway to the front door but we need accommodation on site. We have a second accommodation project, which we hope to announce shortly. And then the other part of our big strategy is to attract automotive brands on on the 16th of October. Aston Martin Lagonda Limited mm. took the keys to the Stowe Circuit, the one-mile uh, internal track, which is where they'll develop up their, uh, their road cars uh, for the future. Silverstone will become to Aston Martin what Fiorano is to Ferrari. Does that mean the store circuit then um, isn't now a public area that you guys can use for your Silverstone experience, driving things? And I renewed my ARDS license down there a few years ago because um, rather stupidly I, I let my um, race license lapse. So does that mean that's not going to be available? That's Aston Martin exclusive? I let mine lapse as well. Um, but That uh, was a silly thing to do. Well, it, it was a silly thing to do. Um, we can, uh, we, we have the use of the Stowe circuit on Saturdays and Sundays. Okay. Uh, so test and development activity uh, in an automotive company is principally a workday, uh, right. uh, Monday to Friday activity. Of course, there'll be a bit of... Um, you know, jiggery pokery between the two, our team and their team, as as pressures on businesses come. But essentially, it's theirs in the week and it's ours a weekend. The, the uh, I mean, that's Porsche and Aston Martin that you've got here now, with Porsche just on the other side of yeah. of the bridge from there in what was their original Porsche Experience Centre. Now, uh, one at Atlanta, uh, where their headquarters is in the US. There's one at um, Los Angeles, which I've been to as well. Fantastic stuff. This again is the diversification of Silverstone about not just, in inverted commas, being a racing circuit. Yeah, and around the outside of the track, of course, is Silverstone Park, which is a very much a high-performance engineering-focused technical park, attracting Formula E teams, uh, or small-scale automotive manufacturers, uh, people working up autonomous vehicles, uh, all sorts of supporting industry and, and skill set. We've got a school opposite the room that we're here, the Sil- uh, Silverstone UTC, 470 children uh, doing their uh, state school education, GCSEs and their sixth form studies. And it is a little known fact that uh, the children that leave there in the sixth form, um, somewhere between 40 and 50% are leaving with the equivalent of three A's at A level. I mean, it's a seriously good school. If your kids want to get into uh, into motor racing, high performance engineering, World Endurance Championship, Formula One, um, then they can do a lot worse than look at the Silverstone UTC because the skills they have there, the knowledge, the expertise uh, is, is second to none. And the whole concept of a UTC, which is about 10 years old as a concept in education, they're on their sixth full year, September was their sixth intake year, is to provide a work-ready group of children for a local need. So there's a a, a aerospace UTC in Bristol near BA Systems there, there's a a computer one in Reading, there's a a ship uh, building one in Portsmouth or a maritime one in Portsmouth. And and what we do around here is high-performance engineering. We're world-class. And if you put a pin in the middle of the map of where it is, it's Silverstone. Right in the middle of the carbon fibre triangle, as I like to call it, in this part part of the world. Uh, With Stuart Pringle, the Managing Director of Silverstone Circuits, on the big interview this week on Midweek Motorsport. Before we wrap up, um, let's go back to 
We've talked about the diversification. Let's talk about the, the, the core of Silverstone, which is motor racing meetings. You mentioned Formula One. It's the last Formula One meeting of the current uh, event of the current um, negotiation, negotiated contract uh, next year, which is worth coming to see. Let's say that straight away. So if you're a British motor racing fan, uh, make sure you get on the website and, and follow. Uh, make sure you get your tickets. It's, it's Liberty's stated aim to have possibly as many as 25 Grand Prix surely there has to be a space for a British Grand Prix there and clearly you would say Silverstone was the best place to put it I think many people, other people would be but you said earlier on in this interview not at any cost just describe fill in some of the detail there about your thinking and the board's thinking on where that needs to fit in terms of 750 Motor Club, other events that go on around here, uh, the other 51 weeks of the year? Um, I wouldn't just say that Silverstone is the best place to host a British Grand Prix. I would say it's the only place to host a British Grand Prix. There is no other track that's capable of doing it, and uh, I don't accept the suggestion that a street circuit is financially viable in the UK uh, without government subsidy. And... um, that's not going to happen realistically is it um uh where do the how do the commercials work well we 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 pay formula one a fee to bring the circus to town and then we sell tickets to the circus and we hope to recover the cost i describe it sometimes as a bit like being a tax collector we take it off the uh of the people and we and it washes through our business in a good year we make a modest margin in a bad year we cover the difference um, undoubtedly it enhances our brand it's built our brand for goodness sake over over um, 68 years of the Formula 1 World Championship um, and uh, but, but you can't surely though you, you say that and, and I understand about having a halo event and I understand about something to hang the rest of the year on it's Britain's F1 venue when people want to come and rent it to go testing or whatever but surely you've got to be careful about that and there's got to be a heart and head moment and a return on investment moment because you can't ask other events to subsidise Formula One. No, you can't. Um, and and nor should we. So we need to make we need to make money on the Grand Prix uh, because the uh, our commercial risk is significant. You know, it's it, it's tens of millions of pounds of risk that we're accepting, and you need to make a margin on that. Yes. Otherwise, uh, you're not running your business properly. Uh, you also need to earn from... Um, you need to... Businesses have overheads, uh, and you need to earn a contribution to the cost of those overheads uh, from, from, from an appropriate percentage of the revenue. So it's not just about the margin that you make on the weekend, the gross profit on the event, the, i.e. The, uh, the, the, the revenue less the cost of sales. It's also an appropriate proportion of the overheads. Um, and we make uh, an appropriate proportion of overheads, uh, contribution to the overheads from the 750 Motor Club, uh, but the 750 Motor Club shouldn't have to for- subsidise Formula One. And, um, and, you know, if we lost it, would it damage our brand? It, it, it wouldn't enhance it. But uh, the simple fact that if you stop the man on the Clapham Omnibus and say, uh, what does Brands Hatch mean to you? I guarantee you nine out of ten people will tell you what Brands Hatch is yes. out there. Yes. And they haven't run a Formula One race since 1986. So I think that we have enough brand equity to survive a period without Formula One, if that's what it takes. Without saying that that's what you want, of course, because nobody wants that. I, I can expressly say it's what I don't want. I, I want us to retain the British Grand Prix. Uh, and, I, and I hope that we'll get there. And I think that the British Grand Prix adds significant value to the Formula One World Championship. 
Um, we are the second busy, we're consistently the, the, the second most popular event. Uh, Mexico is doing about 120,000. We're consistently doing um, around 100,000 uh, paying tickets, uh, which is very good, very, very good. And, uh, and yet, you know, if you can't make the sums add up on that, then there's probably a message there. Um, the other thing is that uh, our fans, uh, Formula One, another real positive about Formula One is, you know, they are very focused on what the fan wants. They ask the yes. fans after yes. every event, did you enjoy it? Fill in this survey. They were blown away by the number of people that responded this year, and they were also blown away by the quality of the feedback. We had a wait. There are five boxes, and uh, we were nothing in the in the in the in the bottom three. So we were only in the top top two boxes. Top box, ninety percent um, of respondents uh, thought it was a top box, excellent event, and nine point five percent thought it was uh, the second box down, very good. Yeah. So we're ninety nine and a half percent. Happy, happy people and compare that against the French Grand Prix if you want a bellwether well, well yes yes indeed um, but that's not of course the only four, the only FIA World Championship event um, WEC has made Silverstone its its own uh, British home and the home of Le Mans style racing in the last few years they do exactly the same thing um, and got great response I know um, the last time they were asked but the race has gone down to four hours for 2019-20 season. It is the first race of the new two-season, uh, two-year season. Um, consultation with you guys on that, and, and how's that going to work for you? Do you think? Um, it was more their decision than ours, but I certainly didn't fight them. I understand that they're looking to build a, um, a, a diverse calendar, and this was a change of strategy and. You know, it's a bit of a balancing act, really. On the one hand, uh, you know, there's those of us who are fans of endurance racing and have been going for years and years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the, frankly, the longer the better. Yes. Uh, but I think you and I are probably in a minority on, on, on that, John. Um, the WEC has been very, very good at creating a broader family feel event. They've really, really invested in that, that entertainment uh, uh, and and there aren't so many people that, that that need that that die hard. I don't think the extra two hours is. I don't think it's a, a disaster. Well, the ELMS has been proved that four hours works. Let's be honest. And I, and I I understand that a lot of people will look at the the event here and say, six hours here was getting a decent crowd. Um, six hours at at Bahrain doesn't get a crowd at all, and yet they're going to get more time, Silverson going to get less time. I understand why people look at that and, and cock an eyebrow at it. But it's not as if there's nothing else going on that weekend. I think this is still the only WEC event who has an ELMS event as quote-unquote a support. And I don't mean that <laughs> to denigrate the ELMS at all because that that is top of the bill entertainment as well. Uh, no, exactly. It's a whole weekend's worth of entertainment. It's just that the main race is a, is a little bit shorter, but frankly, it's probably quite long enough for a lot of people, and there's plenty of other things going going on here. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. We'll suck it and see. Um, the main thing is that we have a really good relationship with uh, the WEC. They're a, they're a slick team organising the event. Uh, they run a very... Uh, um, a, a very well presented uh, event and that was their preference so uh, you know we'll, we'll work with them on it and we just need to you know make sure that we've got a format that works for both parties and, and proves to be a long-term success so that we can continue to keep it as one of our four world Ch FIA world champ sorry world championships one of them is an FIM world championship yes. in MotoGP. 
having the first round of the season, does that change the dynamic at that time of the year? Is you know we've had it at Easter before and had snow here, still like great racing by the way I should say. Um, that time of the year, end of August, beginning of September, does that change the dynamic of the WEC and the ELMS coming to Silverstone? I th- I think it's just more more civilized for the spectators. You know, a long distance race in the chanking cold is is. Frankly, not it's much fun. It's an endurance for everybody, exactly. Um, in August, well, some people are on holiday, some people aren't. It's the week before MotoGP. Logistically, it's it's frankly a nightmare. Uh, they're two big big events. We're backing. We did uh, we did it one way this year and the other way next year, whichever way around it is. You know, you're both. They are significant logistic exercises that take about a week to set up. So so that's a challenge for our team. And you know, we're running motor racing events here most weekends between March mm. and November. And we're not a uh, we're not a big team. Our events team is sort of eight or nine people, and and they're bouncing from one big thing. They've got multiple plates spinning at any one time, and uh, so to, to 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 you know manage that as a business is quite a challenge for us. But it, it is what it is. My preference is August, yeah. and I like the first round because. I like the way that we can offer uh, two permanent pit buildings so we can have mm-hmm. ELMS and WEC. I think that does make the billing stronger. Uh, and also it's just good for, for all those drivers to, to, to become familiar with Silverstone. Yes. You know, this is one of the great circuits in the world. And I would say that, wouldn't I? I'm very lucky I run the place. But it's, you know, it's 70 years old. It's, it's the one that all the drivers want to, to come to. You only need to look at something like Blancpain or mm-hmm. British GT. It's massively popular. In fact, you can go down to all the club is the vintage sports car club yes. that, I, that I used to run many moons ago it was the one where it was always the most expensive to come to but we always had the fullest grids mm. because people don't want to go back to the office on Monday and say uh, they said what we're we doing at the weekend uh, John um, oh, I was racing at Pembrey or I was uh, you know yeah, ra- yeah you know what they want to say is and again no disrespect to any other circuit there but you're absolutely right it's that instant brand recognition at the, at the other end of the endurance spectrum from WAC Creventic who've been very successful here with the 24-hour race haven't been able to get a date with you guys for for next year I was with them at the weekend in in Texas still very much got a good relationship with with yourselves do you hope that can come back and 24-hour racing their way can can come back here um, yes I'm a a uh, big fan of the way that they do business. I think, again, another professional outfit. Um, we struggle with numbers uh, mm. a little bit here. That's really the, the, essence, the essence of it. Uh, not because people don't want to race, but just because of a busy calendar and mm. clashes with Nürburgring mm-hmm. and other touring car events and this and that. And there are, uh, you know, it's just trying trying to find that slot. Um, I am the very- Europeans, however, love coming here uh, to, to pick up on. Yeah, I mean, we talk to the Germans, the Belgians, and you think... Oh, we're coming to Silverstone, and you know, I live an hour away. I kind of get blasé about Silverstone yeah. being on my doorstep. Those guys have got the Nurburgring and the Nordschleifer and Spa, and yet they want to come here. Yeah, and I think you know they're going to want to come here more when we get this place uh, with the accommodation on site and the extra bits and pieces because you're coming from multiple days stay, yeah. and uh, yeah. your wife wants to come on. Uh, you know, but she doesn't want to be stuck in the green man. With the greatest respect to the green man, um, but you know, well, it's full of people like us. That's the problem. Uh, but no, I, you know, hopefully we can get them back. Um, mm. I, the one thing I would say on the timing is that uh, I'm not willing to sanction a midsummer 24-hour race no. uh, because I think that's not fair on our neighbours. Right. Um, when people want to have their windows wide open in the summer, that's they they don't want us droning round and round. Yeah. And uh, so you know that I th- we we play. 
we, we exist with the uh, permission and the cooperation of the local community here and we play a, a meaningful role in it yeah, and we need to respect that and actually therefore it's got to be early season when it's cold enough to keep your windows shut or late, yeah. later in the season just just on that and I used to live in Silverstone so I know Silverstone Village so I know exactly what you mean there having said that I'm a fresh end uh, fiend and I kept my windows open all the time and when I could hear Formula 1 testing and I get my push bike and <laughs> wobble up here um at a time when lots of circuits struggle with their locale and their neighbours about noise, you guys over the years have developed a superb relationship with all the habitation around. And, and I believe that you actually don't have a mandatory noise limit here because you police it yourselves so, so well. Uh, correct, we're the only circuit in the UK without any restrictions on it. Um, and that is precisely because we are very, very uh, strict uh, we record everything every day. Uh, we log it. We demonstrate that we're sticking with the, the parameters within which we are sticking. And uh, we don't just front up as a business with our local uh, c- communities and neighbours. Um, I front up personally. I go to, I go to every one of the neighbourhood meetings personally because uh, this is really important. You know, this is the sort of thing that gets businesses closed down. You only need to look Ooh. at Croft and Mallory. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, there's a huge source of pride um, locally about Silverstone. Um, people go on holiday and they don't, uh, you know, when they're chatting to somebody in a bar in southern Spain or wherever, they don't say, uh, you know, I come from Whittlebury or I yeah, come yeah, from yeah. near Northampton. They say Silverstone is yes. the point of reference. Yes. Um, and we're good for jobs. We're good for employment. We're adding huge amounts of value add to the uh, to the local community with the events that we put on here. Mm-hmm. We just need to manage it and be sensible. And if we uh, if we ever become complacent or bullish or, or, or t- frankly, to up ourselves, then we will get slapped back by yeah. the local community. Yeah. So and one hundred percent right, rightly so. The let, let's close on looking forward again then um silverstone part of the community in the very local community sense part of the carbon fiber triangle as you spread that out which is part of great british motorsport and engineering community uh, and part of that dividend of investment that that and the rest of the automotive industry which with aston martin and porsche silverstone silverstone are also a part of Insulated against, partially insulated against cyclical moves in motorsport, etc., with the other things that you're bringing online. Pretty good shape, I would say, Stuart. Are you, are you happy? I'm very happy with where we are. It's been uh, a tough four years as we mm. pulled ourselves back from a really tricky situation, but definitely our strategic plan is starting to uh, head in the right direction. We've got, I can genuinely feel the wind in our sails now we are Mm. really moving along and we're getting to the point which was always the aim to uh, be able to afford to keep motor racing we'd got ourselves to a point you know we we couldn't afford to keep our core business and that was a crying shame so we're building a more robust uh, a more robust and sustainable business for the long term reliable revenue streams because as you say organizing outdoor events in the UK is frankly a at best, um, a bit of a hit and miss affair, and and uh, and uh, you know, worse, high 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 risk. Uh, but we're becoming a more diverse business. We're having reliable revenue streams, and we, uh, you know, the great uh, the point I'll leave you on, John, is that 
Although the aforementioned Bernard Charles Eccleston uh, did indeed used to pick his battles with the British Racing Drivers Club, uh, with whom there was no love lost, um, actually the BRDC are the perfect custodians for Silverstone because they have the long-term interests of motor racing at heart. There's no personal uh, dividend taken by the members. They don't get, they don't get cash out. Everything that we earn as a business, um, the members of the BRDC uh, put back into Silverstone. So they are reinvesting, and it is the, se- the 750 Motor Club, the BARC, the grassroots of this uh, of, of of motorsport in this country, that are the beneficiaries. Because you can't go racing on on many of uh, many of the other Formula One circuits around the world because. Either there's no grassroots motor racing, uh, you know, I'm not sure, not sure there is in, in Vietnam, but let's hope it's a, uh, you know, a catalyst for that, for that to come. And you only need to look at the Gulf states for how, you know, how long it has taken them to, to, to develop things and still no sign of, um, of drivers really cutting through at the highest level. But we have, a, we have a national asset here in Silverstone of which we can all be rightly proud and we're going to get it sorted out so that it can afford to keep all the motor racing uh, that, that we need in this country from the top to the bottom. Stuart Pringle, Managing Director of Silverstone Circuits, thanks for joining us on the Midweek Motorsport Big Interview. Thank you very much, John. That was uh, recorded earlier on today. Stuart taking time out uh, of a briefing, actually, about that GP issue with the circuit to come and uh, speak to me. Hope you enjoyed that. And... Uh, and I've learned something uh, as well from that. Stuart, uh, a massive motorsport enthusiast. Not always the case in that sort of position, but very genuine chap, Stuart. Enjoyed that today. He's down in London tonight doing some of the more mundane work for Silverstone uh, at the moment. Shea Adam has stayed with us. Uh, hello, Shea. Um, Hi. He's a good lad, Stuart, isn't he? You can tell that just by yeah. hearing talks. You can really hear the passion come through in his voice, John, and he's not just talking about it as if it's something secondary or work. It's his life. Uh, Let's quickly uh, have a word from you on what we heard before the big interview. Paul Walter, the director of racing for for IMSA on driver rankings. Uh, Only Madison Snow and Sheldon Fontalinda were re-graded. There will be people who still don't get what Paul was saying um, but you and I know because we've spoken to Madison and the family over the weekend they did see the data on which those decisions were made there's no right of appeal yes but there there was data presented they were the only two regraded by IMSA and that's an important distinguish because there were other drivers who were silvers last year who were regraded by the FIA for example Jerome Blechmullen is no longer platinum he's gold um, we've got uh, Mario Farnbacher is now gold. Kyle Marcelli is now gold. Catherine Legg, uh, mm. Gunnar Jeanette. So there were quite a few other drivers who were on the radar who were bumped up to gold. So it, by it the really FIA. Is, by, by the, the FIA. FIA. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So picking those two drivers out specifically, it's a whole can of worms on its own. But the big thing is it's happened. Uh, the question is, are we going to see Madison Snow racing again? Because he was a driver bringing money to the team. He yeah. doesn't feel comfortable comparing himself to some of the drivers who get paid, and he doesn't want to take someone's job. Uh, let's. Uh, we'll try and get share. Uh, we'll try and get. Uh, we'll try and get Madison uh, on the show at, at some stage in the next few weeks when his uh, when his plans become 
uh, a little more uh, a little more firmed up. Uh, some other quick IMSA news. Uh, we've got a Honda. We know we've definitely got a Honda now, and it's not the Honda we were. Ex- this is not the Honda we were looking for. <laughs> That's the second time I've used a version of that line today. Uh, no, it's Hype Motorsport is coming to the Michelin Pilot Challenge Series with a Honda TCR car for their drivers Jet Noland and Victor Gonzalez Jr. So that is the first confirmed car that we have. We've heard that Lap Motorsports is coming. So we know that they're going to be on the way. But we've also had a couple other really exciting announcements as far as that series is concerned, including the Cook Show. Mm. Tyler Cook and Kenton Cook sharing an R8 LMS GT4 car next year. But the team's not abandoning their TCR effort either. They are going to keep their TCR cars going. So they're planning to have four cars on the grid next year. And when we're talking about new cars, Magnus Racing are switching to Lamborghini. Yes. Yes, that was, uh, uh, that was heard by dolphins around here. Thank uh, you for that. Dolphins and cats. Uh, with Andy Lally back with them again as well. Yeah, Andy, well, if, if Magnus Racing is an IMSA, Andy Lally's a part of it. It's going to be sad for uh, that team to leave Audi after they've had some remarkable success over their three years. They've won the 24 Hours of Daytona in 2016. Remember when Rene Rast was baby-pedaling the car home to make it on fumes? A brilliant finish. They won the eight hours of California last year. They won the big race at Lime Rock, which was the same weekend as Corvette's 100th victory. So they're going to be in a Lamborghini next year. And if you can't beat them, join them. Audi was the only manufacturer not to get a win in GTD this year. Lambo had three. So it kind of makes sense for Magnus to switch. You're listening to Midweek Motorsports Series 13, episode 45. Your thoughts on the Stuart Pringle big interview. Tim Gray is up in London. Uh, a quick word from him. Uh, a new sports car championship has been announced. Has it? Yes. Ooh. Come on then. Uh, this is the ridiculously named <laughs> Asian oh Le Mans Series Porsche Endurance Trophy. And it's open to those entrants who are competing in both the Porsche Carrera Cup Asia and the Asian Le Mans Series. What, together so- or they're just earning points in their respective series? This is a new uh, way of scoring points and you have to do both championships so it's like a category within the Asian Le Mans series for cars which already entered into the Porsche Carrera Cup Asia right so if you do Porsche Carrera Cup Asia there's like a Porsche Carrera Cup Asia class within Asian Le Mans series yes right Okay. I can feel Earl Bamber tensing up right now because he owns a team that runs Carrera Cup Asia, and he's already struggling with team management. Now his drivers are going to want to go and run another series too. Uh, we don't have time for Porsche uh, for Porsche for a pointless press release of the week. But okay. if we did, it would have been from Lamborghini. He was sent out a very uh, <laughs> self-congratulatory uh, press release about uh, about their, their success at their own World Finals. Yes. Would buy a Lamborghini <laughs> apparently. All the races were won by Lamborghinis. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Lamborghinis and Lamborghini drivers uh, won lots of different championships there, including the Lamborghini Super Trofeo North America. Um, uh, Two classes of that still to be decided and which were decided at the weekend. Yes. And uh, the uh, Middle East, Asian and uh, European uh, Lamborghini Super Trofeos as well. Let's move on to NASCAR. Where would you like to start? Uh, Do you want to start on Friday, Saturday or Sunday, Shay? Shall we, do, shall we do it in chronological order and start on Friday? Yeah, might trucks. as well. Trucks. Who have we got from Trucks, uh, Tim? We've got the champion. Who is he, Shay? Brett Moffat with the fine moustache. Uh, pretty good. 
um, I don't know. I don't think it's sunk in yet. Um, I have a lot of friends, family here, and and just the the effort that HRE put in all year, and Scott and these guys when when we didn't even know if we were going to make it to the track, and then we show up that week and win the race at Chicago, and, and just everything we've been through. I don't think everyone understands when we say we have nine or ten full-time employees. That's um, the last three to five weeks. They've been working seven days a week and working until midnight if need be. Um, more times than not, they were doing that, and it's just a, it's a testament to them. It's It's really... Uh, I'm fortunate to drive the truck, but those guys, they kill it. I mean, it's its an honor to drive for them. Uh, I love the trucks. I watched a bit of that on Friday. They are so aerodynamically inefficient. They move around so much. <laughs> I love them to beat uh, Shock Winner. Uh, he has no plans for 2019. Mm. So, yes, very much. No team has signed him as of the checkered flag of the race on Friday. Something tells me that that's changed and we'll be getting an announcement soon. Almost certainly. Saturday, another night race. Uh, it was the Xfinity race, four in the top. And you and I both picked the winner. And he sounds like this. It's, um, it's something I knew was possible all year long. And... Um, you know, maybe not everybody in the garage believed it, but our, our, our team believed it, and that's that's all we need. Uh, the guys in the shop believed it. We winning winning in the first race of the year was was huge. It was a huge sigh of relief knowing that no matter what may what horrible things could happen, we were locked into the playoffs. But at the same time, I think looking back, um, obviously going into the playoffs, we looked back and we just well, I wouldn't say we as a team. I was simply just too aggressive and tore a lot of good race cars up, uh, unfortunately. But Playoffs came around. Um, we refocused. We re, we honed in on what we had to do. Uh, we weren't always. Uh, I, I got to say the the six the six test set, the practice sessions um, between the round of twelve and round of eight. We weren't ever really that great. Uh, we were always kind of struggling. Of the guys that were competing for the championship, and we were always wondering how we were going to get speed in the race and get the points we needed to advance the next round and uh, my team worked really always worked really hard especially the the, the seven weeks prior um, after practice to make our car better um, and to get ourselves in position to score points and survive uh, that was our champion for the xfinity the series tyler reddick um, the guy who drove the burger fi car yes i had my bur first burger fi at the weekend in wasn't it yummy? in texas it was expensive it's not it's, yeah. i could have had three in and out for a burger fi um Don, what... you should see the size of the guy who created burger fi's yacht oh right so, well that, yeah okay that uh, another shock um, it wasn't expected, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, the good news for Tyler Reddick, he does have a signed contract already coming into the final season of the race. We knew that he was going to be going to Richard Childress Racing next year yep. to defend his Xfinity title. He'll be doing a few oh. cup races as well, but it's not a step up, which is interesting. So yes. Tyler Reddick, congratulations to him and uh, to DEI, the entire team. It was a victory for Dale Earnhardt too. Dale Earnhardt Jr., so pretty cool. Very happy about that as well. In fairness, we picked it on the car sponsor and yes. nothing on nothing else. However, in the Monster Energy uh, series, in the Cup, we did, you and I sat down at Texas, looked at each other, and before the race was starting, we were on the air, we had it on on a monitor in the studio, we looked at each other, you said to me, who... And I looked at you and I went, I've just got a feeling it's going to be Logano. 
He's, I think he's going to be good round here. And you went, absolutely. And I, you were spot on. I saw his debut. Did you? Yes. Did you? What, in Cup? Yes. Wow. Where was that? Daytona in 2009 <sighs> or 8 or whatever eight. year it was. 8. eight. Yeah. Mm. Wow. That's pretty cool. That is very That is very cool. That is very cool. Uh, and it's one of those things that you pick out. Were you cheering for him, Tim? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> Who are you cheering for? I wanted Kevin Harvick to win. Oh. No. She couldn't watch the race, so, you know, she was in the pit lane or she was in the booth with yeah, me, so she couldn't I, I watch the race. I knew it wasn't going to happen. So it wasn't going to happen. Simple as that. Uh, but this is what you had to say after the race. Uh, man, it's it's incredible what goes through your mind and how how it feels to be able to cross the start finish line. You, you, you're able to take the lead, and you know there's quite a few laps left, and as you get closer, you know, five laps, four laps, you're counting them down, and you're like, oh, I just want to take the white flag to where, you know, the caution comes out, we got it, and um, it, it really felt a lot like my first win uh, in Pocono, and, and, and kind of that same thing, because how big that first win was to me, and once you get that first win, your goal changes to winning a championship, and I remember those laps there, and my foot would shake on the way down to put the throttle down, and my foot kept shaking, and started doing that again. I was like, "Oh my goodness, it's just, it's uh, it's been so so hard, and, and such a, a, a long road to get here, and been so close, and had that feeling of defeat, and man, it just it stings, it, it hurts a lot, and you, the last thing you want is to have that feeling again, um, you know. But yeah, I felt so confident going into this week that. We were the car to beat. Um, and I felt like, you know, after winning Martinsville, it put us in the spot to, to really focus in on this race. And um, and we did. We built a great race car, um, you know, that, that was able to be good on the short runs. It wasn't a long run race car, that's for sure. But, uh, but a 20-lap car, it was that for sure. And um, my race team, I, I wasn't worried about them at all. And uh, I knew I just had to do my job. And everyone's going to do their job. And... Everything was going to be fine. Either way, everything was going to be fine. But uh, I felt confident and relaxed that, that today was going to be a good day. I'm not sure that anybody was a massive favourite in the Cup Series going into the the final race. Uh, Lugano wins no. for Ford, uh, for Shell. And I, I, you know what? I, I could have made a case for any one of the four, to be honest with you. Well, yeah, and Logano would have been the least favored because yeah. he only had two wins on the year and everybody else had a minimum of four, uh, Bush and Harvick each with eight. So it's pretty substantial that the kid was able to yeah. come through and get this victory. And as you said, a championship for Shell, for Ford, for Penske. And he might not be the last guy to do that this week because Scotty Mack is going for it in Australia. So that's pretty cool, too. Uh, yes, that's for uh, Penske have had a pretty good year, year haven't they? Oh, yes, uh, it's it's pretty amazing when you consider that the least bright star that shone for them this year was their sports car program, where they oh yeah still won in their debut season. So it's uh, it's remarkable what Mr. Penske has been able to achieve this year. You mentioned uh, the Virgin Australia Supercars Stryer this weekend at. Uh, I'm so excited. 
at New Yes, it's at Newcastle, which I always think, what, so they're going down the quayside, across the swing bridge, then up the hill on the other <laughs> side, across the tight no, it's, They it's, definitely have to cross the bridge because Gateshead would not be happy with them staying on one side of the river. Clearly. Clearly, I, I've I've got a great track. I'm going to show everybody when I'm going to sketch it all in. Um, however, it is Newcastle. It's not that Newcastle. Um, although Sydney has a copy of the Time Bridge, of course. And uh, last weekend, oh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there completely. You were waiting about for the laugh. Stryer. <laughs> no, I was talking about Stryer. And last weekend, it was WRC final in Stryer, was. was it not, Tim? And going into the uh, weekend, there were still three drivers who could win the title. And going into the final day, there were still three drivers who could win the title, although it was looking a bit uh, uh, ominous for Thierry Nerville. Um, but uh, Ert Tanak, who had been the uh, outsider, was leading the rally. Uh, and then, uh, unfortunately, he uh, didn't uh, finish far enough ahead of the driver who eventually became champion, and that was uh, Ford's... Well, s- he fell off the road. Tanak fell off the road after his teammate had fell off. Neuville and Tanak both fell, fell off the road and left it to Sebastian OJ, who wouldn't finish. Thank you very much. It's been an f- incredible season. So close. Up, down. Not so long ago, we were thinking, OK, it's going to be tough to grab this one. But we never gave up. We give everything. Fantastic team behind us. Keep fighting, giving us everything they can. And at the end, we just grab it on the last rally, more or less up to the last stage. So it's so emotional. So of course, I want to thank them, especially this guy. <laughs> Was I hope we'll not miss too much each other, I guess. But it'll be going to be tough. But at least we achieved something very special on these two years. And I'm very proud of of him and that's the best boss you can ever have in the sport uh, this guy he was referring to is Malcolm Wilson and uh, last week dropping through my letterbox uh, was uh, the Christmas catalogue of popular European supermarket chain Lidl mm. and if you look at page uh, what page is it towards the back of it right. uh, there's a little feature on the people who supply their Christmas trees right uh, with a photo of the man who grows them. Right. Tom Onslow Cole. It's not Tom Onslow Cole. Uh, they're, they're the best one. They were on national television uh, he, this week. They were, yes. His name is Kjelt. Kjelt, And yep. he's from uh, Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, but he looks like Malcolm Wilson. Uh, <laughs> is that where you got that picture from? Yeah. Uh, it's on page 24 <laughs> if anyone else has got the little catalogue and wants to uh, agree or disagree with me. No, you're right. It does look like a younger Malcolm Wilson. And he's in a forest. So, exactly. So and, and he's in his not? street clothes as well, which frankly, most times when I watch Malcolm Wilson in the forest, he might as well have been in his street clothes because he ended up standing next to me when I was marshalling most times because he rolled the car into, car into a small ball more times than he finished. Oh, ouch. That makes his son Matthew laugh a lot and makes Mal- make Malcolm very unhappy. I, I love you daily, Malcolm. Uh, World TCR Cup thing. Uh, uh, by the way, Oshie was only fifth, but still took the championship. Yes. But to- congratulations, Toyota. They win their first WRC Manufacturers Championship since 1999. And oh, well uh, unfortunate for uh, Hyundai, who uh, had a terrible season. Yeah. But absolutely. still have great hospitality. All right. Um, I wouldn't know. WTCR uh, season finale at Macau. And if it's a touring car <laughs> race at Macau, it must be won by Rob Huff. Rob Huff! 
but it wasn't. Oh, really? He made a Ooh. bad start. Well, no. Right. Uh, Esteban Guerrieri and... Uh, Do you know that's the, one of the few races I didn't see from Macau this week? And Jean-Claude Vinay were uh, race winners. Right. And the championship, uh, which was between uh, just two drivers... Uh, them being Ivan Muller and Gabrielli Tarquini, has really? gone to Gabrielli Tarquini, which we believe wow. makes the him the oldest FIA yep. champion ever. <sighs> Beating a record held by Carlos Sainz. Right, because presumably in the days of old Formula One drivers, it wasn't FIA. In very old days, yes. Right, okay. Yeah, you know, I'll... listen... Um, I'm a big fan of Tarquini. He's a top bloke. He always used to turn out for all of the touring car um, public days that we did. He made himself available. He even came out and played football. That was a long time ago. He and I were far too old to play football when we did it, and he still turned out to do it. Top <laughs> bloke, deserves it massively. And there's life in the old dog yet, clearly. Uh, clearly. Uh, also in Macau, we've already heard that Dan Ticton won the F3 race. Uh, that was overshadowed by a very scary-looking crash uh, for Sophia Flersch. No, no, it was just a very scary cl- crash. It wasn't scary-looking. It was scary. It looked like yeah. she'd been shot out of a cannon backwards in her F3 car. Uh, yes. Um, but uh, she underwent 11 hours of surgery and uh, will make a full recovery, apparently. Uh, ec- which, if true, is excellent news. Do we know how the marshals and the photographers are who were injured in the shunt? Uh, I know that all but one of them were released from hospital the same day. All right, great. Mm. Um, the question is, and we don't have time to discuss this now, but I'm going to leave it out there. Um, freak accident? Question mark. Or are the cars not suitable for Macau anymore? Well, they're not going back there, so that second moot point, point is rather moot. Right. Uh, uh, Mok Wang Sung. Uh, racing a Suzuki Swift at the weekend to mark his, his, retirement. his retirement from full-time racing. Although the Clearwater brand apparently might may well continue, but the Chrome Silver and Red Dragon will be <laughs> on the track this weekend. Yes, on the side of a Suzuki Swift. I love it. I think that's pretty cool, actually. If you were doing a 1,000-kilometre race around uh, Sepang, what would you want to drive? Anything, frankly. <laughs> yes. Do you know what? I'll take it. If he gives us a... I can still get there. If he gives us a call, I have helmet and hands, we'll travel. You know, can do it. Uh, that's weekend, That's this weekend's... Th- oh. Oh. Are you going to give details? Need to give some details. Yes, you do. So, uh, the categories nominated by the talent. Car of the Year. Johnny Palmer went for the Mercedes GT3. Nick for the Sauber C37. John for the Mercedes AMG F1. And Shay for the Ford GT. In Race of the Year. Nick went... Uh, sorry. JP went for the uh, Nürburgring 24 Hours. Nick went for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. John the uh, Service at the Race of Remembrance. And Shay Petit Le Mans. Young Driver of the Year. Johnny went for George Russell. Nick went for Davide Ongaro. Uh, John went for Colin Mullen and Shay for Carl Kirkwood. Uh, Non-driver of the year, JP went for Manti. Nick went for Toto Wolf. John for Charlie Lamb and Shay for Corvette. The team of the year, Johnny went for to Toyota Gazoo Racing. Nick for Mercedes-AMG F1. John for TGM and Shay for Core uh, Autosport. Uh, and finally, man of the year, Jean-Eric Verne, 
is Johnny's nomination. Lewis Hamilton nominated by both Nick and John and uh, three drivers uh, from Shea, uh, the Nick Tandy, Patrick Pile and Fred Makovicki. Because one's never enough for Shea, obviously. Uh, well, it's making up for the fact that you've only got half. Oh, well, yes, that's a fair point. I've, Nick and I only have half of Lewis and Shea's got three Porsche factory drivers. Well, OK, well, you know. Uh However, there's one car- uh, category, category that, that you haven't you mentioned. Don't. Yes, that's the uh, Mid Motorsports Listener Award. Uh, and that's where you listeners have to do some work over the next <laughs> seven or six days, really. Uh, between now and uh, Wednesday morning of next week, I need you to tweet your suggestions for nominees for the Listener Award. Uh, Is we'll... the show next week? Have I got to no. get me tucks out? No. Okay. The week after. All right, yes, uh, of course. We'll then course. pick three of those. Yes. They'll all go onto the voting page on RadioLamont.com with all of the other six categories, and you then have a further week to uh, start voting for the Man of the Year show, which will take place two weeks today. It's just the show of the year now, we'll call show it. Show of the year. The show of the year, or the house of the year. Um, show, show of, of the, the year. year show. The show of the year show. Excellent. Even better. That's much more midweek motorsport. And that's all we have time for. We for could tonight. make it about a, a pink-coloured Formula 1 team from uh, the Northamptonshire area and call it the Force of the Year show. Oh, very good. That's, we might have to steal that. I'll talk to you about that later. Uh, that's all we have time for tonight. Thanks to Nick in Dublin. A special thanks to uh, our two guests from outside the studio, Paul Walter, the director of racing for IMSA, who made time to speak to us on the phone tonight to talk about driver rankings, and Stuart Pringle, who came out of a pretty heavy meeting, I think, to spend half an hour with me at Silverstone today. Shea, thank you. Tim, thank you very much, our executive producer and our responsible adult, well, is everywhere, as we well know. Uh, Next week, we'll be back to do it all again. Until then... There's no time to explain. The llama is trying to get its head round doing puissance. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.